You know, every one of us who believe we are adopted children of, of the King of Heaven, and we have a right standing with God because of our brother, Jesus Christ, and, and the Spirit has given us power. And that's why we have such an affinity for orphans. In our church, we have a great ministry. It's called Orphan Care. And next Sunday, we're going to have a luncheon after the 11 o'clock service uh, to learn more about that ministry. And I want to encourage many of you to be there. I know some of you think, whoa, 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 we're not, we're not, we're not to, in a place in life where we're going to be adopting. But you are in a place to be praying. You are in a place to, to be partnering and encouraging those who are. And I want to encourage you. There's some information in your bulletin about getting signed up to be a part of that that next that next weekend, next Sunday, uh, because it is it's a, it's a powerful thing. And we we do this because of what God's done for us. Uh, there is an adoption ministry because we are adopted. We are children of the High King of Heaven, and and as such, we are compelled to celebrate that in real life, but also to understand our role in this world. Uh, we're in this series. We're talking about sharing, being better together. And we share as those who were once lost and in the streets alone, who have been brought near to God and adopted into His eternal family. Now, we have a responsibility. We have some brothers and sisters who are wayward. They have wandered from the faith. They are away from God's family. They are not making their way into this home. And we have a responsibility to go and help them come back. We also have a responsibility for some who are not yet children of the King of Heaven. And they're out there in the streets and they're trying to make their own way. And they're trying to, to find happiness and hope. But it's not out there. It's in Christ alone. And it's our responsibility to go and, and live hopeful and be helpful. Help them to come to know our Father and the grace of His Son and the power of the Spirit. And so we've been talking about the fact that first to do that, first of all, we got to get here and we got to remove any barriers that are keeping us uh, apart by our preferences and then go into the world and, and to exemplify the grace that God has given to us. That grace is built on the Orthodox faith, and so we talked about the five solas and how we, as believers, we hold to these foundational realities, these truths that, it, that enable us then to, to, to go and engage onlookers. But in all of that, there is a power that is at work that we must partner with. We are called to, to be in line with the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Spirit of God, and, and that is a unique reality, and I know for some of you who don't believe, this sounds really strange and different, because it is. It is strange to this world. It's very different. When you come into saving faith, you enter into a completely different reality. And the best way I know how to explain it is to think about the difference between walking on dry ground versus ice skating. Completely different realities. Both take energy, both, both takes, take willpower, and you've got to work, but it's, it's completely different. See, if you, if you get on ice and you try to walk on ice the way you do on dry ground, you will not be upright long, will you? No, it just knocks you right down. No, no, when, you, when you're on ice, it's a completely different reality. And so it is when you become a child of God by grace through faith in Christ alone, and the Spirit of God comes alive in you, it's a completely different reality. Now every stride has a greater capacity than, than just you. Now you are moved along by the Spirit. Now as you, operating in His power, according to His will, when you stride forward, you're able to glide. You're able to go further. More happens than what, just what you're doing. And this is the joy of the Spirit-filled life. 
what God is calling us to do, only He can do, but we get to join in and be a part of it. We are not passive observers. No, no, no. We are to engage actively in what God is doing in the world. But you can't do it the way you did when you were in dry ground. You can't do it the way you lived before you met Jesus. See, when before you met Jesus, you were in charge. I was in charge before I met Jesus. And I would just stomp around doing whatever I wanted. And it didn't get me anywhere. And it wasn't easy. And it was hard. And it was miserable. And it was leading to a place of destruction. And now the Spirit of God has come into my life. And now I'm still striving, but I'm flowing. And I know some of you, you think, I'm terrible at ice skating. Does this mean I'm going to be terrible at the Christian life? It may be hard for you. I know it's hard for me. How many of you like ice skating? How many of you hate ice skating? Double hands, praise, yes, me. I like to feel like I'm in control. Confession. I'm not a control freak. I just want everything to go my way. Is that wrong? <laughs> Walking on dry ground, it's like, okay, I've got this. You can't do that on ice. you got to really work with the reality that you're in. So it is in the Christian life. We are now walking in the Spirit. And now each action we have, there's a power that moves beyond us that we are to walk and keep in step with. And that's what our text shows us how to do today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and go with me now to Galatians chapter 5. We're in verses 25 and 26. Ashton's going to read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Ashton, come on and make your way to the stage. Again, we're in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 25 and 26. Ashton, are you ready? Go for it, buddy. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become confused, provoking one another, hitting one another. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Ashton. If you would go ahead and, and be seated. Now, understand, sometimes, sometimes the best way to know something and to know the right thing to do is to, is to see what not to do. Um, how many of you guys remember those old, it's not really old, but they were called successories. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Successories. They, they were these real motivational things that, that they were like pictures and pens and cool things you would put on your desk. Well, that came out, and a couple of years later, there was a sarcastic version of this that came out. It was called Despair.com. How many of you have ever heard of that one? I like that one better because it's hilarious. So what it basically does is it takes something that the successories would have turned positive and it says it's a negative thing. For instance, this one has always just made me laugh so hard. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Put that on your office wall. See how that goes, right? You know, that's not to be, this isn't the Christian life, all right? It can be. Your life can be an example of what not to be. Samson was that. There was others who were an example of what not to be. Judas or others. But you know what? God wants us to live hopeful and to be helpful and for our lives to be an example of what it looks like when God takes a dirty, dead sinner and washes them clean and gives them new life and allows them to walk in life. It is a new reality. It's so glorious. But, but it, takes, it takes practice. And so what we see in our text today, we see these two sides, what not to be, what to be. Let's, let's begin at the end and let's come back to the front. Let's, start, let's first talk about what our life is not to equal. 
You see in the outline there, our life plus the gospel should not equal Galatians 5.26, because that's the life of what is known as a Judaizer. The, 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 book, the letter of, of, of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Galatia, and one of the things he was combating, one of the things he was dealing with, there were a group of people in the church, they, they were called Judaizers. And what they believed was that before people could become Christians, they need to be Judites, Jews. And what they basically said, yeah, 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 Jesus died for sin, and that's great, but first you've got to earn it. First, you've got to get your act together, and then you've got to keep your act together if you want the grace of God to be, to be active and, and to do its work in your midst. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Galatians and says, that's a lie. That is not true. No, no, no. You are not to be a Judas. Because what happens when we think that we've earned God's salvation? Verse 26 is what becomes a reality in us, okay? We become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. See, if you think that you've pleased God, then it is your opinion of yourself that you're pretty awesome. You're conceited. You also, since you pleased God, you can now condemn other people that haven't pleased as God, hasn't pleased God as good as you think you have in your own opinion. So you can provoke one another. But then there's those other people, you know, the church ladies, you know, that are doing better than you, that judge you. Well, we don't like them. And so what do we do? And instead of being happy, we, we envy them. That's what happens with religion. That's what happens when you're not living by grace through faith in Christ alone. And you start thinking, no, 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 I've earned my way to God. I got to God because I went to church because I did all these good things. You become conceited, you provoke others, and you envy. That is not the life of a Christian. That is not the life of a person who's in, in, encountered the gospel. No, no, that, that's not at all. And, and so our life plus the gospel, it doesn't equal Galatians 26 because of three things. One is justification. One is because of justification, that doctrine that tells us that we are made right with Christ because of His work alone. What it says in John chapter 3, verse 7, is very important. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Anyone who's born again, it's because the Spirit of God moved on your life and gave you the capacity to come alive to God and repent and believe and be saved. My, my son, Asher, and I, we're, um, each morning we work through Scripture on our way to school, and we've been talking through Romans 8, 1 and 2. And one of the questions he asked this week is, Dad, how, how do I know that I know I was saved when I was saved? And I said, buddy, I'll never forget it. I know for a fact you were saved. He goes, how do you know? So I'll tell you. Because we were doing a devotion on the Ten Commandments of all things. And you had done that devotion several times before and showed no interest in it whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I remember you were actually disciplined once because of your disrespect for the Word of God and the way you were responding. And I don't remember that. I just let it go. But I said, I'll never forget the night. We're reading a devotion on the Ten Commandments. And you begin to cry. And you looked at me and you said, Daddy, I've done some of those and I'm in trouble. He said, I remember that. So remember we went upstairs and you were crying and remember mom saw you? And he said, yeah. And I said, remember how she said, what did he do? He said, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know, it's good. Jesus. And he said, remember you were saved? He said, I remember. See, 
It was the Spirit of God that moved on my son. I had prayed that he would do that. I had prayed that God would do that. And, and it, it was many prayers before that, by the way. It was, Lord, please get him to start asking questions about things like death and life. Please have him start asking me questions about who is Jesus and, and, and why do we go to church. Please have and he And God was answering those prayers. And then he brought the Spirit of God and brought him to life. And he repented and he believed and, and he was saved. See, that's what salvation is. You know, we talk about the three circles all the time. We talk about this reality of God's design, but how sin has created death, and we're dead in our sins, and it's created brokenness. But if we'll repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us, we can pursue and recover God's design, and it gives us a whole new life. We're set free. That's what Romans 8, 1 and 2 is what we're memorizing. Asher and I right now is Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're free. You're free to get on that ice. And you're free to enter into a whole new reality. And you can't walk the way you used to. You can't live the way you used to. You're in a whole new reality now. And to go forward, you've got to go forward in a different way. And, and this new life, it never ceases to change. Not only is there justification, the second thing is there's sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a theological term that basically means to be set apart. And so there is a transformation. That's what sanctification is. It's a transformation that continues to happen. And hear me, that doesn't happen by your willpower or mine. That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives by the power of the gospel. The very gospel that justified you before God is the same gospel that will form you, change you from one degree of glory to another. Again, three circles. Once you begin to re- pursue and recover God's design, you're not done, you're just getting started. Because the closer you get to Jesus, the more sin you still sense and see. When we received the Lord's Supper, there were many of you that had to repent because there was sin in your life, your attitude or your actions, and it was creating brokenness. So you repented and believed not to be saved, but to be sanctified, to be set apart, to become more holy, which allows you to pursue and recover God's design. You see, that's what God is doing. We, we read in, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We are being changed. Each day, each hour, we are going through a, a, a process as the gospel is empowering us to pursue and recover God's design more and more. That is sanctification. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a value that we have here. One of our core values here at our church is life transformation. And by that we mean passionately pursuing gospel-based change. We're not interested in manipulative change. We're not interested in, in, in having people who come and I scare you enough or a preacher yells at you enough or makes you feel good enough to get you to behave for six more days until you come back next week and hopefully we can scare the Jesus out of you again, right? And get you to, get you to behave. That's not what we value. What we value is a supernatural change that only God himself can accomplish. It's a gospel change. And that change, it places you in a new way of life. See, we, 
that our life plus the gospel doesn't equal Galatians 5.26 because of justification and sanctification and the way. It is a way of life. It is the way of life. Jesus said it in John 14.6, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way. It is a way of grace. You, you could never earn this way of life, this justification thing. It is a way of mercy. You don't get what you deserve. It is a way of peace. Without Christ, you will never have peace with God, peace with Him, and peace with others. It is a way of grace and mercy and peace, and it produces holiness and hope and life. It is a blessed life. That's why the psalm, Psalm 1-1, said, blessed, blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked. To walk, Allah, this is, a, this is not just a, 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 just a simple kind of walk. It's a different kind of walk. It's a, it's a walk in a very unique reality. It's a walk that is in line and is empowered by God himself. It is this, this word, Allah, it is similar to the word that we see in verse 25, Sohketo. Which means, look in verse 25 with me. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That word, keep in step with the Spirit, it's the same word as the, as the word in Psalm 1, to walk in the way. God calls us to walk in a unique and powerful way. And so that's why I, I, I would say to you, our life plus the gospel, it equals Galatians 5.25. It equals us with the capacity to live by the Spirit. And we also must keep in step with the Spirit. See, when, when we are living in the Spirit, when we are keeping in step with the Spirit, let me tell you what happens. We get humble. We get humble. It's humiliating. It's not humiliating, but humiliating is a bad word because it's a negative connotation. It humbles us to know how dependent we are on Jesus. And the good news is, if you will humble yourself and receive Jesus, he will lift you up. God the Father will lift you up. James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. There's something about coming and kneeling before the Lord and submitting your life to Him. That humbling act that gives you an unbelievable confidence. There's such a confidence that comes because you now know that you're in the hand of God Almighty. Jesus said that the Father has given all that are mine, and they are my hand, and no one can snatch them from me. I used to love it when I was a little boy, and my mom made my big brother let me go with him in his friends' places. He hated it, but I loved it. I loved it because when I was with them, I was in the squad, you know what I mean? And nobody could mess with me. Now, they can mess with me. They could discipline me, but nobody else could. And so before I came to know Jesus, I had issues. And so when we'd go out, I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would call people out. And then I'd go get behind my big brother, who was Big P. Big P. And his friends. And nobody could mess with me. And then he would turn around and smack me in the head and say, quit, quit embarrassing you and everybody else. He could correct me, but nobody else could. So my big brother, Jesus, he corrects me. But he protects me from everybody else. It's humbling to be dependent upon Jesus. But there is a confidence that knows nothing can get to you that doesn't go through him first. He died for your sin. He sent his spirit. His life is alive in you. 
and He will guide you, and He will hold you until that day of judgment. And then you will enter into the Lord's presence if you have submitted your life to Him. If you humble, see, it's the opposite. It's the opposite of being conceited, as it says in verse 26. We are humble. More than that, we are we are encouraging. See, our life plus the gospel it equals Galatians 5:25, which makes us encouraging. That's the opposite of provoking one another. How many of you guys had brothers and sisters that you would provoke one another to acts of tears or violence? Show of hands. Yeah. I used to get my brother to beat me up for all kinds of stuff. My favorite was to be in the car and to have my parents say, don't touch your brother. Where I touched him, he said, mommy's touching me. And then he'd go, right next to him, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And that'd be his eyeball, Right? And know that he can't touch me if I don't touch him. But knowing that he's going to beat me up later for it. You know, this is what happens sometimes. Is, is rather than being encouraging siblings, they provoke one another. They aggravate one another. That's not what the church is supposed to be. Look what it says in Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. Not aggravate, not provoke, not intimidate. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. Of somebody encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day uh, drawing near, this is the day of judgment. Friends, we don't have a lot of time. Some of you are going to be having meals pretty soon with family members that don't know Jesus. What are you going to do? Are you praying for them? Are you going to talk with them? You say, well, I've talked to them before. Are you going to talk to them again? Are you going to pray again? Are you just going to give up? you got to keep going. Let me encourage you. Share the gospel with someone today. Share Jesus with the people you're going to be at school with tomorrow. Who do you know that's lost in your home, in your neighborhood? Pray for them. Let me encourage you. And you encourage me. When I'm preaching, if you're asleep, just put eyeballs up or something. Don't, don't let me think that you're asleep. Act like you're paying attention sometimes. As a matter of fact, poke the person next to you because y'all are way dead this morning. Go ahead, wake everybody up. That's encouraging to me. Some of you are actually awake enough to do it. That's good. And, I, and so I'm encouraged to encourage you. And that's what happens when we gather. It's to be encouraging. And so, all right, now Donna's leaving. That's just great. We threw her out. She's actually, she's got to go serve. I'm going to pay for that, aren't I, Randy? That's trouble right there, man. He said, don't worry about it. It's the story of your life. <laughs> so, uh, no, I don't want to. Yeah, hum- oh, she's got to go serve. Humble, and then you've got to, en- there's an encouraging aspect. And, and, and then this. It's got to be, it's supposed to be, it's called to be celebratory. It says, our, you know, write it down, our life plus the gospel, Galatians 5.25, which makes us celebratory. See, instead of envying one another, we celebrate what God's doing in one another's lives. It's celebratory. Um, 1 Timothy 4.15, the Apostle Paul, on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to Timothy, look what he said. He said, practice these things, live this Christian life, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. He wanted and expected Timothy to live in such a way that other people could see him being transformed from one glory to another. It was measurable. Let me ask you something. Can your, can your family, the people, your friends that are really close to you, can they see you being transformed into the image of Christ? Is there any celebratory change in your life that they can celebrate? See, some of you, you're on the ice and you're like this. 
You're in the Spirit, you're in the new life, and you're, you're not doing anything. Some of you are still trying to walk in your control and you're falling down. Get up. You're in a new reality. Walk and stride in the Spirit. Listen, I know some of you out there are doing pirouettes. Some of you can do flips. Some of you can get on and you can play hockey, spiritually speaking, right? You can go to battle on this ice. So we're just starting to make steps forward. It's awesome. Keep going forward. Keep walking in the Spirit. And you'll be amazed at what can happen. I love sports. I particularly love football. And I, I love I love something that happens. And I know it probably happens in other sports, but I've seen this so many times over so many years where a game is just boring and it's just there's just kind of this hitting and hitting and there's nothing happening. Out of nowhere, someone steps up and makes a play. Someone does something. And it may be the, the, the kicker, the little, you know, he's kicked a, a field goal or, or maybe it's a, a big block or a tackle or maybe someone makes a great throw or catch. And now all of a sudden the team, they're celebrating what he's accomplished. And then they show the sidelines and the coach is like, yeah. And then you see on the sidelines, everybody's kind of hopping a little bit, right? And now it's time to go do the kickoff. And then someone with the love of Jesus hoping in the heart just nail somebody, right? And then everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone else makes a play. Someone else makes a play. And all of a sudden, there's this thing that's called momentum. Because one person did something worth celebrating. And then someone else did. And then someone else, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Give me a bad team with momentum versus a great team with no momentum, and I'll beat the great team every time. You've seen it in games before. I've seen Vanderbilt beat some of y'all's teams, right? Nerds with, with limited talent. But suddenly there's momentum, and it's like, oh man, these nerds are fired up. And they have beaten Tennessee. Y'all remember that last year? Which they'll probably do it this year, but that's not like the right amount. And Kentucky, I don't even want to talk to you. We just didn't have any momentum yesterday, right? Do you know what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you, we're in a church where we got a lot of momentum. We got deacons that are serving the lights out. We got teachers teaching kids right now. And, and they're, oh no, they're killing it. We got guys in West Africa right now. They were in canoes a few hours ago, surrounded by hippos, getting to an area where nobody's ever heard Jesus before. That fires me up. We got some family here who sent them. And with trepidation, they're not fired up. They're terrified that they're in a canoe with hippos. But you know what? By faith, they're walking with the Lord. They're trusting the Lord. Let me ask you something. Are you keeping in step with the Spirit? Is your life a celebration? Are you encouraging? Are you humble? Are you that Galatians 5.25? Here's what I know. If you've not accepted Christ, you're not on the ice. You're still on that ground where you're in control. And you don't have, you really don't have control. That's a, that's a, that's a joke. Judgment's coming. You need to get on the ice and trust the Spirit. Now, some of you are my brothers and sisters, and, and, and you're on the ice, and that's great. It's time to go forward. And a part of you going forward, some of you, is beginning to share the hope that you have with those who are in darkness and need light. 
And this morning I want to invite you. We're going to, we're going to have some quiet this morning. And I want to invite you in this quiet to pray. So here's what I want you to do. Stand with me. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you want to come forward and get on your knees, you're welcome to do that. If you want to just do that just in your seat, that's fine. But if you want to accept Christ as your Savior and Lord right now, if you want to get on the ice right now, just just talk to the Father. Say, Father, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Come in and take over my life. And you just spend some minutes right now. Thank you, Jesus, if he's done that for you.